Good morning, friends. As we stand this morning for worship, we welcome you to the house of the Lord. Yes, we welcome you here where you can be yourself and experience our Heavenly Father. Let's sing a praise here. We worship the God who was. We worship the God who is. We worship the God who evermore will be. He opened the prison doors. He parted the raging sea. My God, He holds the victory.
my name is Kathy Connor, and I'm one of the pastors here at First Pres. I'm so thankful to be here and to be with you. There is an Old Testament book called Lamentations, and in the third chapter it says this, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. It never comes to an end, and his mercies never come to an end, because his mercies are new every morning. I love the way this scripture declares that God's mercies are new every single morning. Let's start right there this morning by accepting, believing, and embracing this truth that we have a new beginning and a fresh start. I hope you'll soak in that as we share in worship this morning. If you're new to First Pres, if this is your first time, we're so glad you're here, and we want you to know that we would love to care for you, do anything that we can to serve you. If you would, kindly fill out the Connect card on our website after worship, and you can also scan this QR code. It will take you directly to the card, and that just enables us to get to know you better, help you feel perhaps more at home, maybe pray for you or encourage you in some way. But we also want you to know that we believe that we live our best lives when we experience a real relationship with Jesus and with each other, and that all of that sets the stage for real transformation. And I know I need that. Perhaps you do too. This is the perfect moment for those of you who are online, and we're so glad you're with us, to go right now and grab some crackers, juice, whatever you have on hand, so that we can share in communion together later this morning. Please pray with me now. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for the truth that you hear us, that as we sit here with you this morning, you, our Heavenly Father, are listening. And Lord, we do need that mercy that you offer us fresh and new every single morning. We need your love that never ceases. And we don't want to forget that. Help us to be aware of it more and more as the morning continues. And on into this day, that it's fresh and new and vibrant because of you. And that the way we can be with each other and the way that we are with you is always the good news of a fresh start. Help us to be people who offer that as well. Lord Jesus, there are people, family members and friends and even those we don't know who are on our hearts this morning. Men, women and children in Ukraine, Lord, who need you desperately who are crying out to you, even as we speak. Some are scared to death. Some are so deeply alone. Lord, whisper your love into their ears. Let them understand that you are as near as their breath. And keep them in the center of our hearts, Father, looking for ways to help them. Jesus, we also lift up the Murray family in the loss of Sandy Murray this week, a beautiful woman of God. 
We ask that you embrace this family and wrap your loving arms around them as they grieve the loss of their mother, their grandmother. Jesus, we continue to pray for Jackie Faircloth, whose accident years ago has left her now in a position of having to trust you every moment of her life, unable to walk and talk, yet aware of you. And for that, we are grateful. Lord, let her know this morning in a fresh and new way that you love her so much and that we love her so very much. Oh, Jesus, help us to worship now with a heightened sense of expectation that we will hear from you. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Good morning. My name is McLean Murphy, and I'm on the staff in the session here at First Pres. and I get to tell you all about a couple things we have coming up. The first is Easter Sunday. In just a few weeks, we are going to be having our worship service at Plant High School this year. We're so excited. We're grateful to Plant. They've been so gracious. Uh, we're going to be worshiping in the auditorium, and we've got a lot of seats, more seats than we have in this room, so it's the perfect spot for us. It's going to be one service at 10 a.m., and I just wanted to, right now, just kind of put in your mind the idea of inviting someone. Easter Sunday is the day that our lives begin, because Easter Sunday is when we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus, and that changes everything. It gives us life, and it gives us hope, and so maybe you have a friend or a family member or a coworker who could use a little hope right now, who could use life transformation, who could use relationship. This is the perfect Sunday to invite them. I also wanted to let y'all know on Easter Sunday, we're going to have a really special crew service. So this is for our kindergartners through fifth graders. They are going to be in the Plant High cafeteria rocking out with Miss Rachel and her team and learning about Jesus. And then our littlest ones will have childcare, of course, for birth through pre-K four. So bring your family, bring your friends. Let's celebrate the resurrection together. I also wanted to let y'all know about something going on tonight right here at church. This is for our students, sixth through eighth grade, late night game night, but with a twist, competition with your family. So kids get to bring their parents, their siblings, or if your family can't come, just come by yourself. And there's going to be competitions amongst families. I am probably one of the most competitive people you've ever met. And so I am like, maybe a kid needs a stand-in mom. Maybe I could come and help. I don't know. But it's going to be really fun, and uh, your kid won't want to miss it. Uh, bring a friend, and that's tonight. Thanks. Would you believe it that God gets excited when we're open-handed and generous? In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, the Apostle Paul said this, God loves a cheerful giver. First Pres, that's you. You have been so generous. Over 100 children in our church are learning that Jesus is crazy about them because you give back to God. 26,193 meals were served to our homeless friends last year because you give back to God. Sunday mornings are made possible because 125 Dream Team members are giving back to God. You are demonstrating this truth 
that you don't have to be wealthy to be generous. You just have to be generous to be generous. Isn't that great? That means we're all in, and we all get to be cheerful givers. Here are five ways that you can continue to be a cheerful giver, and you can use any of these means, or you can use the generosity box in the back. But you are having an impact, one life at a time. God bless you. Just
Joel 2.13, it says, don't tear your clothing in your grief, but tear your hearts instead. Return to the Lord your God, for he is merciful and compassionate, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love.
Father, thank you for today, for this beautiful day, for the, for the joy of being able to live in Florida, to enjoy this beautiful weather. Thank you for being in this room, surrounded by all these wonderful people who have come to become our family. And help us remember that we can bring everything to you, our joys, our sorrows, our heartaches, and that you will listen, you will hear us, you will answer. We just need to wait and listen and let you decide, not us. In your name we pray, amen. Welcome to April. I'm fired up about April. There's a really, 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 really important Sunday that takes place in April. Huh? No. That's good, but not good enough. You know what this important, vital Sunday is? It's next Sunday. The Masters. Just kidding. McLean so eloquently has already introduced it. Two weeks from today, we're celebrating Resurrection Day. And what we're trying to say, we have today and the following Sunday, the 10th, Master Sunday, and we have Easter Sunday, to kind of get around the idea of it all comes down to this. And that's the way we've decided to think through these three weeks. It, it all comes down to this. But today we're going to ask the question, what went wrong? Because some stuff has gone wrong, real wrong. And so... I, I, I'm going to begin in a way that's kind of personally disclosing and made Kathy very uncomfortable when I told her what I was going to do. <laughs> so you can appreciate knowing that Kathy's not comfortable with me doing what I'm about to do. Okay, so I'm 23, 24, 25 years old, and God sent me to purgatory or someplace close to hell, Gainesville, Florida. <laughs> Online people... I, I know that you're there, and if you would like to, feel free to say what you have to say about what I just said. <laughs> Express your love for me if you would like to. I, seriously, I, was, I trained for two years in Young Life, and Young Life trusted me with the area directorship of Young Life in Gainesville, and I was directly involved with teenagers at Buholtz High School, but helping lead Young Life at Eastside High School and Gainesville High School and a couple of the private schools. So we had a pretty good Young Life thing going on in there. And I, they trusted me. I, I was 24, I guess, when I was given the assignment, and I worked really hard, and I was reasonably successful. You know, I, I got the job done. I didn't get fired. <laughs> and so I'm just making my way through this challenge of leading this mission. It meant doing good work with teenagers, teaching people how to do good work with teenagers, and building a board to raise the money to pay for it all. And so it's a, it's a, it's a very hard job leading a mission is, and Young Life is a mission. So there I am doing all that. And so I guess you would say I had a, an appropriate sense of self-awareness or confidence, but there was one area in my life where I was clueless, and Kathy might think I still am. <laughs> And it's kind of obvious, isn't it? What I was clueless about, and I mean this in all vulnerability, I had n 
no idea who I was when it came to trying to have a decent relationship with a woman. I was lost. And what, I was, what was going on inside me, and I tried to get it straight, is I just had this stuff. Do you have issues, any of you? If you had trouble figuring out where you, whether or not you could have a good relationship, a one that, that you hope many of us, most of us want it to be a marriage, well, I was just dying to have a good relationship. Part of the reason I was so weighted with it was because of the losses that I experienced in my family of origin that was hurt in my family. A garden variety divorce, garden variety alcoholism. And there's nothing garden variety about what it does to you, but there was nothing flamboyant or extravagant about it. It's just my mom and dad, they didn't make it, and my dad had alcohol issues. So that impacted me. And oh man, did it impact me with dating because I had waited all of my needs onto whoever this poor woman was. If Kathy had known what she was getting, <laughs> no woman in the right mind, would have, knowing what I am, would have come near me because no woman could ever satisfy me. But oh, did I not know that. So here's what happened one night. This is the part where Kathy's nervous. Are you nervous right now, Kathy? <laughs> so I was doing what young men do. I was just, and I, I was a Jesus follower. It was really important for me to find a woman who was a Jesus follower. And so I asked this woman out. And I'm not going to tell you anything about her because people know her dad, and I don't want anybody to ever know who it is. So anyway. I asked her out, and we went to, for those of you who are from Gainesville, Bilbo and Gandalf's. And that's a long, long time ago, and it doesn't exist. You're laughing at me because a long time ago. <laughs> There's a man over here who's a University of Florida person, a Gainesville person. He knows how long ago this was. But anyway. So we go there, and we're having dinner, and we're just hanging out. And she, she was a nice person. I, and, I, and so this is what happened. I got drunk. <laughs> That's the part Kathy didn't want me to say. <laughs> and I, I mean, I'm not, dr not, not like staggering drunk. I, I, but I was uncomfortable and I wanted so much. And I think I was drinking wine. I don't remember. It wouldn't have been, it wouldn't have been beer. It wouldn't have been alcohol, whiskey. It was, it was wine. And so I got drunk. And, and here's what happened to me. There's, there, nothing happened. I mean, I, I took her home, I guess. I don't know how I got home. <laughs> and then I went home. And I felt so guilty the next day. And you know what I did? I never spoke to her again. So, I mean, that's sort of a garden variety kind of a... I, I was lost in my insecurities. And you put those together with intoxication. And what was the result? I, I, I'm certain that she was not troubled by me never calling her again. <laughs> but I didn't. Now, how is that? And that's just the entry. And I worked really hard to try to figure out who I was. And here's something that's really important for you to know, because what went wrong, what went wrong with me, I think goes wrong with people. And here's what I did and was doing and continue to do to this day. I made sure on purpose, with intentionality, that I had relationships with people who I trusted, who were Jesus followers, just a few people where I could talk about the raw reality of who I was. There was safety, there was vulnerability, there was transparency, there was authenticity in these relationships. And we met on purpose in a group. And around here we call it a life group. And there were a couple other people I talked with about me on the side, but I had all of that going on. And this is what happened. Over time, I began to become clued in. 
I began to understand what was going on inside of me. All of that stuff, the hurt, the patterns, all of that began to come to the surface and in a lot of ways healed. So there's scar tissue inside of me, but healing is also a very real thing about who I am. As, as Tom, my friend from Gainesville said, this was a long time ago. And so healing takes a while, but it doesn't happen unless I'm willing to trust Jesus Christ and his people. Here's, here's maybe, I think, the way I wanted to summarize what I was doing in addition to intoxication that messed that evening up. I was relying totally on my clueless self to figure out how to be a man who could have a relationship with a woman. I'll say that again. I was relying, relying totally on me. I can figure this out. And guess who I wasn't relying on? The almighty God of the universe. I tried, but I, when, I, when it got right down to it, when I made the phone call and asked this person out or anybody else out, I wasn't thinking about God. I wasn't trying to do bad things. Don't get me wrong. That's not the point. The point is, is I was just trying to be a dating person, but I wasn't including God in that. It's kind of, I know that's kind of vague, but man, it was very real. And if this stuff that we're talking about being followers of Jesus can't be really real in real relationships, then what? let's all go home. What went wrong? I was just lost in self-reliance because garden variety hurt. I mean, it's everywhere. All of us have it. You, don't, you didn't show up to a relationship or whatever. You, your history has issues too. And maybe you've also made the mistake I made, which is mixing alcohol in there. There's no shame. Oh, no, we're loved by Jesus. What went wrong? For me, just a, just a, I'm, I'm very open about talking about this. If you want to hear more about my story, I'd love to hear about your story. I, re I really would. I'm safe. Because, see, in these relationships, there's confidentiality. We're on purpose at First Presbyterian Church trying to build real relationships that result in real transformation. And confidentiality is vital. I ain't telling you something about me if I think you're going to talk. But, oh, do I need you to hear it if you, can, and if you and I can have this bond where we share in each other's privacy. Oh, yeah, I'm all in. There's a person in the Bible. Oh, he was lost in ways different than my lostness and ways different than your lostness. But we can still relate to him. Man, was he lost. But he also encounters Jesus as I have, as I do, as I did. His name is Zacchaeus. I'm going to read through this passage. It's Luke chapter 19, the first 10 verses. Here's what you need to know before I read it. This is a 100% Jewish scene, right? Zacchaeus is Jewish. All the people in the story are Jewish. Everybody's Jewish. And we're in this town, Jericho. And that's, that's what you need to know. But it's a 100% Jewish scene. And Zacchaeus, like everybody else, is hearing about Jesus. So here, here's what happens. In, in a sense, Zacchaeus is what we just sang in the song, uh, Are You Thirsty? Jesus is calling. And that was Come to the Altars by Elevation Music. It's a great song. You can take notes. Come to the altar, elevation music, great song. Are you thirsty? Because something has gone wrong. And Zacchaeus, like Fitz, oh, deeply thirsty. Watch what happens. I'm going to read it through and then come back, and we're going to have some time to kick it around a little bit. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, thirsty. But because he was short, 
he couldn't see over the crowd. So he ran ahead, climbed a sycamore fig tree to see Jesus since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looks up and says to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So Zacchaeus came down at once and welcomed Jesus gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, He's gone to be the guest of a sinner. Jesus said to Zacchaeus, Today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man keep came to, the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. What went wrong? Let's take a look. Verse 2. A man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and wealthy. It'll come up right now. We're gonna, we need 19 verse 2. There we go. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector and he was wealthy. You, two things are important there. Chief tax collector. He's Jewish. They're Jewish. But they're under the boot of Rome. Oppressive. And this man decided it was in his interest to disregard his people and become not just a tax collector, but a chief tax collector. So he got a cut of the cut. Tax collectors were Jewish people who were, in a sense, traitors. They collected money from their fellow Jews and sent it to Rome. And they hated Rome. All Everybody hated Rome. So guess who they hated? Zacchaeus. And he does this well because the text tells us he's wealthy. What went wrong? There's a word that Christians have used since the beginning, three-letter word. What went wrong? This is a word that tells us how God wants us to understand this human problem that we have. And the word is sin, S-I-N. There it is for you. Bigger than life. You got it. I got it. Zacchaeus had it. Sin. He's miserable, this guy is, Zacchaeus. He's, he has to be. He has no friends. There's nothing like intimacy. But there's also something eating at him. Because notice what he does. He's doing everything he can to get his eyes. He's heard something. He wants to encounter Jesus. But Jesus says this as a way. This, what we're going to do is talk about what went wrong. And what went wrong is this. You and I are people who by our very nature, there's nothing we can do about it. Automatically, all of us, every one of us. We have this proclivity, this human condition, sometimes it's called. And the word is sin. And I'm going to try to help us dance around it, not dance around it, dance on top of it and see lots of different angles of what it means, sin. That's what the goal is this morning, for you to realize you too are broken. It comes down to this. Because Easter Sunday, not the Master Sunday, is the one that counts two weeks from today. But you got to know why that's important i got to know why that's important. So look how Jesus finishes the passage. One of the ways that Jesus, the Apostle Paul, the Bible talks about this sin thing. Here, look at it. For the Son of Man, and Jesus is talking about himself, came to seek and to save who? The lost. Now, he loves me, and he loves you. 
But what he's asking us to do is begin to say, lost. It's just one of the metaphors that shows us what it means to be people who have this condition. And the word is sin in English. Another text, Isaiah, a person who wrote in the 7th century before Jesus. Here's what he says about it. You watch this. They have forsaken the Lord, meaning God's people. They have spurned the Holy One of Israel, and they have turned their backs on him. Turned their backs on him. I want to illustrate that now. I'm going to ask Matthew and Charlie Snook to come forward. And they're going to sit down in these chairs, and they have no idea what's going to happen next. You can see me online. I hope I have in my hand a quarter. This is a quarter. And what I'm going to do is what we have here is the almighty God of the universe called Yahweh, and we have all human beings. And I'm going to flip a coin to see which one of them gets to be which. You ready? (laughs) And heads is Matthew, tails is Charlie. You have to trust me, it's heads. Matthew, I don't know how to say this, but you're God. (laughs) It'll never be said again. What he said for you online is, I said, Matthew, you're God. And he said, it will never be said again. <laughs> they have turned their backs on him. Charlie, if you would, just stand up and turn the chair around and maybe put a little more distance between you and God. Soak on this. Allow this image to begin to inform you, maybe emotionally, certainly relationally. See, what happened is Charlie said, like I did with this woman, I'm going to go do this. And you know what? It didn't even occur to me to stop and say, okay, almighty God, what do I do next? What should I do? How should I do it? None of that. I just went on my own. And that's what's happened right here. The human condition is we're born with this, and we're not able not to do this. We say, as Isaiah said, we've turned our backs on God. We've said lost, and we've said turned our backs. A couple more words we're going to do. Thank you, Charlie, and uh, humanity, all human beings. (laughs) Let's leave them right there. Let's leave these chairs there, and I want, I want to make sure that this image stays with us. This doesn't get fixed until Good Friday and Easter Sunday. This is where we are. It comes down to this. There's another word. You ready? Paul, this brilliant chapter. He writes to these people in Ephesus. It's in the middle of modern-day Turkey. And he writes to them, he's telling them the meaning of the family of Jesus in this book, Ephesians. And in the middle of it, he's talking to these people who were really having a great time not being followers of the almighty God of the universe. They followed everything they could, including fertility and the prostitution and all this other stuff. Look at what Paul says. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. And what he means is not that they were physically dead, because obviously they weren't, but spiritually separated from God. And literally, the consequence 
of sin is that death enters the equation. This is a really great image of death, spiritually speaking. There's God, and here I am with my back to him forever. It feels like you're on fire and you never go out. That's what it feels like. Paul keeps going. There's another word. So we've said lost. We've said turn our backs on God. We've said dead. There's another one in the same chapter a few verses later. But now in Jesus Christ, you who were once far away. It's an adverb. It's a fantastic Greek word, makron, in English, M-A-K-R-A-N. You were far away. Where are we? Far away. Now, this, this shows closeness, but I mean, if my back's to God, the distance, existentially speaking, is cavernous. We're, so notice what, what the scripture, what Paul, what Jesus are trying to do is give us this full-orbed understanding of our condi condition. And there's one more. You ready? Paul's, Paul's still writing. This is in the letter, the gr this great letter he writes to the earliest followers of Jesus in the city of Rome. We call this letter Romans. This is chapter 3. Well, one more way of talking about this human condition. This is bad news, isn't it? <laughs> it is bad news. But there, there's good news. Oh, but it all comes down to this so that on Easter Sunday, two weeks from today, we know why it has to come down to that. Romans chapter 3, verse 23. We're all in this together. For all have sinned, and look at this next word, fall short. We all sin and fall short. Now, it, there are... Um, there are several words for sin. The one in Hebrew that gets used the most is called chata. And it comes over into English, hamartia. And chata starts out not meaning anything religious. It means I have a bow and arrow. I pull it back. I will release it. And I miss the mark. Or in the, in, the, in the Hebrew scriptures, I've got a slingshot like King David killing Goliath, right? And I sling it, but I miss the target. We miss the mark, Paul says. This, this is really getting good now. Really good. What mark? What's the goal? And this is, when, this is when the beauty of what God has done by making us is so phenomenally awesome. We go to chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1 says this. For God created mankind, human beings, men and women, you and me and your children, all of us. Look what God did in the image of God. In the image of God, he, in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God made you and me like himself. That's the mark to be people who are image bearers. And if you're an image bearer, then I'm supposed to love you and love God. And somehow what happens is we miss the mark of being image bearers. We don't love each other and God the way that we're supposed to. And so it's like having a bow and arrow and missing or like having a slingshot and missing. That's what the scripture is trying to teach us. That's what Genesis is trying to teach us. That's what Paul's trying to teach us. That's what Jesus is trying to teach us. We've missed the mark. We're God's partners. Did you know that your home, Jesus followers, 
did you know that your home is an embassy of the king? Is that great? Man. But sometimes we miss the mark. And no one has ever not missed it, at least a little bit. Let me see if I can sort of give you three points about what I think all of this is trying to say. This condition, hamartia, chata, sin, it means, I'm going to say three things here. It means we fail to love God and others. Secondly, it means we, we have the inability to judge whether what we're doing is good or bad, succeeding or failing. And then the third thing I wanted us to think about is how we have inside us this deep, selfish impulse that drives a lot of our behavior. We, you and I have this problem, the, the middle one, inability to judge whether we're succeeding or failing. One of the problems with broken people is that we redefine good and evil on our own terms. I'll just say this about the tree in the, in the garden with the snake and the man and the woman. It's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And what happens is the man and the woman take the tree, take the fruit from the tree, and they eat it. And what they're saying is right here, I'm turning my back on you, God. I don't want you to define good and evil for me. I'm going to define it for myself. And watch what happens. Immediately, human beings define, redefine good and evil so that Cain, chapter 4, page 4 of the book, Cain decides it's in his best interest to kill his brother. That's a, that's a graphic, violent example. There's the most violent example next, Pharaoh. Pharaoh decides that good and evil is his to determine, and Pharaoh decides that it's good and in his interest to engage in a program of infanticide. And he kills every Jewish boy two years old and younger. This is another graphically dramatic example. Putin, you're all thinking it. He's, he's redefined good and evil in such a way that he's bombing schools and hospitals and civilians. He thinks what he's doing is good. He thinks he's succeeding. All of them did. Cain did. Pharaoh did. Putin did. But let's not over-dramatize that. I mean, you and I in our regular, ordinary, garden-variety ways, we keep God out of the equation, which is me saying, I don't need you, God, to date women. I'm sort of defining good, evil wisdom on my own. Man, you know what's really awesome? Jesus loved Zacchaeus. He tells Zacchaeus, this is an unbelievable... They go to Zacchaeus' house and they have a meal. What a meal. Because, see, G Jesus is not uncomfortable around people who have sinned. In fact, there are people with sin seem to be really comfortable with him. There's sort of, I think, maybe a big three... I'll go with the big three. You ready for the big three sins? The first one is greed. That has more conversation about it in the Bible than anything else. Second one, I, you don't need to rate the rest of them. All the rest of them kind of are figuring out which place they're in. But the two that came to my mind were sex. And the third one would be using substances like I did and got drunk. I don't know. Those, those sex and substances are two of the really good ones. Greed is number one. And we get trapped, tricked, duped into thinking that how I do those things, I can do those things on my own and don't need God. And then the next thing I know, relational vandalism. Isn't that a great word to think about this? Look at Zacchaeus' life. He's hurt so many people. 
Cain violates the life of his brother Abel. Pharaoh, put, go on and on. Me, just never calling this person back again. God is so gracious. We have this, I found this meme about four years ago. And it was just a meme. But Dina found the tree in Jericho with a fence around it. Some of you have been there. Long before Zacchaeus couldn't see Jesus. And remember, he couldn't see him because he was short. Long before that took place, the tree was already planted to meet his need. Now, this is sort of a sentimental way of saying, oh, does Jesus Christ love you? What a meal. What a meal that was. Because guess what happens to Zacchaeus? In this real relationship with Jesus, he becomes truly transformed. He fixes the wrongs. He comes out of there a different man. We don't know anything else about him. We know that Matthew, the writer of the Gospel of Matthew, he was a tax collector. He resigned his position. He got transformed by Jesus. Don't know what happened to Zacchaeus. Don't mix him up with Matthew. Different dude. But look at that tree. I've not been there. I hope to go there next summer. Here's what I'm trying to say to us. Yes, we have this issue, and it comes down to this issue this Sunday morning. We have this issue of brokenness, but a feast takes place where Jesus loves you, and he's comfortable with us broken people, us rebellious people. He loves us. The people that are harder to love are the ones that won't allow themselves to admit that they got a problem. He just loves us and arms around us, and he goes to Zacchaeus' house, and they have a long meal together. And Zacchaeus is dramatically transformed. We're about to have a meal. You and I are about to eat. We're about to feast. We're about to celebrate. And Jesus is a truth teller. He looks you and me in the eyes with all the love in the world, with grace. With grace and truth, we're loved into the reality of who we are. And what Jesus is saying to you is, oh, yeah, you thought you could do this without me. Haven't you tried long enough? Try me. Some folks in the room and some folks online may never have trusted Jesus at all. You may have never even started. That may have been a step that you've never taken. And you're being invited right now, person thinking about it to begin stepping with him because the stuff in your past, everybody has a past, junk, whatever it is. He, trust me, he's not intimidated. He ain't scared. He loves you. Just If you look him in the eye and say, oh, yeah, I admit it, he can't wait to wrap his arms around you and tell you, my daughter, I love you. My son, I love you. And you'll heal. I, I'm healing. If I can heal, you can heal. It's just relationship with him. And with his people. So here we are at the feast. And I want to warn you. Here's what you're doing. Just housekeeping. We have these cups. And in them are bread and juice. And we're going to just get them in our hands. There are little bowls on the floor. Don't open them yet. We're all going to do this together. This is a family feast. So the little one on the top, obviously, is a little teeny, itsy bitsy, peensy beetsy piece of bread. And if you're a gluten person, there's gluten-free back there on the tray. If you want to run up, it's okay. And then there's some grape juice on the other side. This is not wine. Reminding us of what this means. Friends, this is the body of Jesus. It came down to this. Good Friday had to happen. And so I'll break it, which was what was done. Jesus was broken, the most heinous evil ever perpetrated in human history. The, the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Nothing 
comes close. But he, on purpose, with intention, allowed himself to be executed, just like he invited Zacchaeus to a meal so that we could be restored. The cup represents Jesus' blood spilled. It was a bloody event for the same reason. It came down to us. We went wrong. He paid the price. Death is dead because of the cross of Jesus. When you open this up and eat it, and when you flip it around and drink it, here's what you're doing. You're saying, I went wrong on you. I admit it. Thank you that you love me. You made me. I'm your image bearer, and you want me to hit the target. And the only way I can do that is to have myself restored. You are choosing this when you eat this bread and drink this cup. The body of Jesus broken for you so that you can be reconnected to him. blood of Jesus shed that you can face him and love him and live forever with him. Allow me to pray for us. Gracious God, thank you that for, with you, truth is surrounded with grace and love. The truth is we run off on our own. The truth is we're lost. The truth is we turn our back on you. The, the truth is we rebel. The truth is we redefine good and evil in our own interest. The truth is relational vandalism. But man, do you love us anyway, and you turn us into people who hit the target. We want to be people, gracious God, that live with you and for you. We want to have our lives, our homes, our businesses to be am embassies of you, the king of the universe. Thank you you lived and died or lived again, that what went wrong has been made right. Amen. All right, let's stand together. Sing one last time, y'all.